Eye on 2020, episode 277. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Never in my wildest imagination a year and four months ago when I started this podcast would I have thought 2020 would have become a year that nobody cares about the about the election. 2016 was just an intense year of politics, libertarians talking about running, Democrats, Republicans, it was just a fight on both sides. It was insanity, and it was very entertaining to watch. For somebody that sits on the sidelines like myself, someone who generally won't vote, at least it was interesting to watch, and I enjoyed it, and I thought, you know, it was great when Donald Trump became the nominee, and he was beating up on Hillary Clinton, but it was also great when Donald Trump was going against the Republicans, because it was just wildly entertaining. The Bernie versus Hillary thing was wildly boring, or I guess a snooze fest, I guess is the best way you can call that. And finally, when that wrapped up with Hillary basically stealing it from Bernie Sanders and the entire Democratic National Committee going against Bernie Sanders, you know, it totally became Hillary versus Trump and Trump just bashing Hillary. It was interesting. It was entertaining, to say the least. You get Gary Johnson in there with his gaffes and with his stupidity and a lot of people being excited again about like a milk toast type candidate. But the guy got a lot of freaking votes. He got a ton of votes because you had two absolutely terrible candidates running. You had people who refused to vote for Donald Trump and you had people who just refused to vote for Hillary Clinton because she is just a corrupt politician and Donald Trump is just a guy that is a corrupt guy in general and doesn't really have a a navigational beacon per se of liberty or constitutionalism or whatever he doesn't have that navigational beacon of I guess pointing towards Republicans I would imagine so you just had the establishment just rail against the guy and it was it was entertaining it was interesting it was fun to watch and when I started up the show I was just thinking to myself It'll be entertaining to watch the 2020 election. So I started it in January of 2019. I went through the entire 2019, and it was basically focused on the Democratic primary. I did not anticipate that. I expected a lot more news coverage and things going on, but really nothing happened outside of the Democratic primary. And I tried to cover it specifically from a libertarian point of view. I tried to bring up political policies that these people had that were totally outside of the view of what a libertarian would generally believe. I tried to cover their issues. I tried to cover like Medicare for all, college tuition for all, free college or you know what was it um forgiving college tuition, free child care, like all these things. There was hundreds of things. I think it was kind of at one time that was like not hundreds, probably like 60 or 70 things that 
the politicians were promising people if they would just elect them. Bernie Sanders had quite a few. Elizabeth Warren had tons. Oh, I covered also Elizabeth Warren and a lot of her ideas that she had. Like, she was the ideas person. She had a plan for that. I covered a lot of the things that she had a plan for as well. So that was what 2019 turned into. And then you have the debates, and I got lots of good responses from the debate episodes and so forth. That was always fun to do. But, I mean, right now, we're looking at the end of the Democratic primary because Bernie Sanders dropped out yesterday. Bernie Sanders is done. Bernie Sanders, he says it was painful to do it, but, you know, let's be honest, guys. The establishment was against him from the beginning. I think that the reason why they end up running, like, 26 candidates is to water down Bernie Sanders in some ways. I don't know if it was they ran 26 candidates, but a lot of people got in. And you don't just get into a presidential primary. You don't just jump in and throw your name in the hat unless there's people pushing you forward. If there's people that are telling you to do it, you don't just jump into that race. You're not just thinking to yourself, oh yeah, I think I'm such a great person, so I'm going to jump in and try to run for president. There's always a man behind the man. There's always people there pushing an agenda, a specific agenda, and they find specific candidates of an array of ideas and they kind of lead them towards it. I mean, why on earth why on earth would a mayor from South Bend, Indiana say, you know what, I'm going to run for president? Yeah. The dude's well spoken. Yeah. Buttigieg was probably the most intelligent person on that stage. You could tell when he spoke. He just never took off, but somebody somebody was behind him. Somebody was telling him, hey man, you're the guy, you should run, this is your time. So they put up a bunch of people, and it really watered down Bernie Sanders' message. I mean, look at Elizabeth Warren. She stayed in after everyone else dropped out. She stayed in. And Bernie Sanders probably would have won a lot of different states on Super Tuesday and beyond if Elizabeth Warren never jumped in. Or never decided to stay in, I mean. It just wouldn't have happened. Bernie Sanders was head-to-head with Eliz- or with uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016. Elizabeth Warren had... Or not Elizabeth Warren, sorry. Bernie Sanders had no problem getting, you know, 47, 48% of the vote a lot of times. He was very close to beating Hillary Clinton. And this time it just didn't work out for him. Bernie Sanders, not that I support the guy, not that I believe in any of his policies, but he did get screwed out of this entire nomination process. And then all of a sudden, the coronavirus thing hits, and it's been like a pit. If you were in a room called the presidential primaries, if you were in a room called the presidential election 2020, you could hear a pin drop for the last month. You really could. There was no talk of the presidential election at all. No talk of the Democratic primary. You would almost think that there's not even an election this year. You would think that Bernie Sanders wasn't running. You'd think that Joe Biden wasn't running. I mean, you don't hear anything from Joe Biden at all. Oh, he talks about 
He makes a token appearance here and there on some of the Sunday morning shows. He might make a tweet here and there, but there's not a lot of Joe Biden out there talking. There's not a lot of Joe Biden out there trying to make a case for his presidency. It's just not there. He's trying to say how he would do it if he was the one that was running the country right now, how he would have taken care of the coronavirus. He could grandstand on those things, but when you're in the action, when you're deciding on what you're going to do, he doesn't really get to make any decisions whatsoever on the policy for the country. So he can't say what he would do, and he can't. And there will be no repercussions of if what he says went wrong because that's not what, he wasn't the policymaker at that time. So has the coronavirus has the last month or so with a hundred percent coverage on the coronavirus has that helped or hurt Joe Biden's campaign? Absolutely, it's hurt his campaign. Right now, they should be celebrating in the Joe Biden camp that Bernie Sanders is gone. It should be all over the news. He should be doing media interview after media interview talking about how I respect Bernie Sanders. He's such a great guy. I would love to bring his voters in. You know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to court them. He should be doing that, but he won't be doing that because he probably won't get more than a few minutes on any of the networks because that's not the number one focus right now. The entire media, everything is focused on COVID-19. Everything's focused on the, the death count, the daily death, death toll, New York City, all the things that are going on there. That's the, Everything is about that. And it's interesting. I never would have dreamed this to be the case when I started this show 16 months ago. But here we are, 277 shows in, and it's very hard to come up with an episode about the political election, except for the fact that Bernie Sanders dropped out yesterday. That's it. That's that's what happened. And my firmest belief is that his party, or it's not even really his party because he's not really a Democrat, but the Democrats basically took it away from him. They figured out a way to take it away from him without making it seem like they took it away from him. When you have 26 candidates running, you 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 make that field so large that it's hard for someone to get more than 22, 23% of the vote. Because there's so many competing personalities there. And I'm pretty sure that that's what happened, but you could see it at the very end when everyone else started dropping out, that it was pretty much taken for Bernie Sanders. Now, where do his followers go? Where do the people that love Bernie Sanders go? Are they the type of people that are going to get out there and vote in November? Some people would say yes. I think others would say no. I think that maybe a, a, a percentage of his followers, maybe 40, 30 or 40%, might turn towards or might end up going out there and voting for for Joe Biden. Maybe. Probably more than that, actually. Maybe the six, let's say 70% of Bernie Sanders supporters will go and vote for Joe Biden. There'll be another fraction, maybe 20%, who are going to say, you know what, screw this, I'm sitting out. They took it away from our guy again. I don't like the system. I'm stepping outside of it. 
then you might have 10% that 5 or 7% or so that go for Donald Trump who knows and then you have another percentage that might end up voting a third party who knows but that's what I mean that that's the hand that was dealt to them and I just wonder how it's going to affect Bernie Sanders supporters if it was me I would be so frustrated with the system, the two-party system. You guys know I'm already frustrated with the two-party system anyway, but maybe it just shined a light on the two-party system for all of Bernie's followers and said, there's, you know, it's just, it's not a system that works for the people. That could be the case, who knows. But yeah, Bernie Sanders is out. You guys probably already know this by now. That's my take on it, okay? I wanted to kind of on, you know, the second topic that I wanted to cover today, I wanted to let you guys know that I'm not diminishing the fact that COVID-19 is real. I'm not diminishing the fact that, like, in the last several episodes I've done have been completely about the coronavirus. And I am not saying that the coronavirus does not exist. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of people dying from the coronavirus. I am not saying that whatsoever. It started in China. I don't know. I don't believe the conspiracy theories that China created it and all this stuff. It's possible. Who knows? But I don't think that it's just a non-issue at all. The coronavirus does exist. People get it. People die. Older people get it. They're more likely to die. That is a fact. It's true. It kills at a level of or beyond or maybe a little bit less than the flu. Nobody knows that for certain. There's not enough data out there to show whether it kills more people or less people than to get the flu. More people need to get on respirators when they have coronavirus than they do when they have the flu because it's a respiratory illness. The flu is not always respiratory illness. But I think I heard at one point the statistics yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about though, was the statistics are completely off. The media hype is completely one-sided. They completely go for the highest possible value the biggest headline that they could possibly make. 2.2 million deaths from the coronavirus this year. Like, that's the number that they used. We're going to need hundreds of thousands of respirators, and we're going to have a shortage. Hundreds of thousands of respirators. Like, those are the numbers that they were touting. So, I'm not diminishing the fact that this is a serious illness. I'm not diminishing the fact that people die from this thing. Because people do, and you need to take precaution as an individual that if you're young, make some social distancing. Keep yourself away from other people. Make smart decisions. Take some personal responsibility for yourself. Don't go around your friends who might have lupus or have some sort of, you know, disease or some sort of pre-existing condition that makes them prone to getting sick. Their immune system is not as strong. 
if you know that about them, stay away from them. If they, if you're one of those people that has a diminished immune system, let people know about it when you're around them. Or don't go around people in the first place. If you have grandparents and great-grandparents and parents that are older, counsel them to stay away from people as much as possible and to wash their hands and to try to wear a mask in public. Do those things. That's smart to do. Because you don't want to tell your parents or your grandparents oh this thing doesn't exist it doesn't matter because it does matter it absolutely does matter my biggest problem the problem that I see is the way that it's portrayed in the press the overestimates that are being used on the severity of this thing 10% death rate like that is in, like this 10 and 12% death rate in Italy Like, that is not a true statement. Yes, 10 to 12% of the people that were diagnosed died. But that's not a true statement because they don't know exactly how many people had it. Because only the people that got diagnosed with it had it. Only people that took the test had it. And a lot of people don't take the test, but they throw that number out there. High death rate. They don't know what the death rate is. It might be 10%, which that is the most disputable number that you can possibly throw out there and it might be 0.1% right around what the flu is or it might even be less than that or it might be somewhere in between 1 and 0.1% death rate it's not known so you take specific actions in order to mitigate the risk you take specific actions to limit the exposure to people across the, the country And the press is the key resource to get that information out there. That's what the press should be doing, is getting that information out there. In a free society, you expect the press to tell the truth. You expect the the press to talk about things from a positive, like from a standpoint that is believable. But it seems that they're just trying to sell newspapers. It seems that they're just trying to get people to watch it with the extravaganza that's going on, this hype, this mass hysteria. Build this hysteria up. A truly free press, a a press that's not influenced by the government, is going to try to be responsible in their reporting in some way. And they're not being responsible in their reporting. So that's what my problem has been. And then the politicians have grasped upon this entire hype, this they've grasped it and then they took it and started passing all kinds of bills and legislation to spend more money to limit people's freedoms state legislators cities have locked entire state cities down entire states down told people that they can't leave their house and if they do they get arrested unless they're going to the grocery store or to their essential job like the hype has led to what we have now that's my problem with it, is not the disease itself, but the response. The response. Yes, people are going to make poor decisions at some point in their life. They're going to make poor decisions about what they're going to do with regards to the coronavirus. But you need to be the one that makes good decisions about it. The politicians have done damage to this country. Damage to the Constitution. Damage to our freedom. It's the precedent that's been set. I've been preaching this for a week or two now. 
the precedent has been set going forward that politicians can destroy an entire economy if they feel like there is a public health emergency. The precedent has been set. We're going to lock down the country. We're going to lock down the city. We're going to lock down the state. That precedent has been set, and it's not something that's going to be used tomorrow. It might not be used next year, but who knows? It could be. There's a second wave. Lock it down. They might say that. So that's my biggest challenge with this entire scenario. It's not the disease. I don't diminish the disease. I know that it's there. I know that it's there. You wouldn't see such high rates of infection in New York City and their need of more more beds and respirators and all that stuff. Like, that would not exist in New York City. That would not be happening in New York City in a normal situation. So there are more cases that are severe cases. But I said this, the first podcast that I did about, the, or that was the second podcast I did about the coronavirus. The issue is not the coronavirus. It's the capacity of the health system is what it came down to. New York City, the capacity in New York City is, you know, there's a finite number of beds, there's a finite number of respirators. But in any given situation, whenever there's a finite number of resource and there's a, and there's a spike in demand for that resource, people come in and fill that need somewhere. And you'll get that through the market mechanism. You will. Doctors' offices will suddenly start taking patients in that'll be, you know, full t- if they're allowed to, they wouldn't be allowed to in the in the market that we have now because we don't have a free market healthcare system. But doctors might open up their offices and put beds in there and get people, you know, where they could be treated that are not serious infections that don't need to be in the ICU, but just need to be monitored. They might throw them in in those in those their offices instead monitor people at their home doctors go to people's houses to monitor them and if they get worse they go to the ICU the number of ICU beds has to increase the capacity has to increase well it does there are more ICU beds out there we can get people to other places outside of New York in order to get them into those beds places that aren't being so hit hard the capacity is the issue And that's what they've been talking about is that's why they're saying flatten the curve and all that stuff. Well, flatten the curve is good. Talking to people about it is good. Talking to people and telling them to make good decisions. Stay home as much as you can. Don't go to bars. Don't go to restaurants. Whatever. Don't go to sporting events. That's good. NBA, they canceled their season. Major League Baseball, every sport pretty much canceled their seasons, ended their seasons, suspended their seasons. NCAA tournament for basketball canceled. All college sports canceled. Most universities canceled. This is before the government told them to. They canceled all this stuff. So people were already making good decisions, good judgments, limiting their businesses already before the politicians got out there and did it. But now all of a sudden they're locking people down, making it illegal to leave your house. All this stuff. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And that is my problem. The response to the epidemic is the problem. There's been a response that people just go along with it too. They do. They just go along with it. The people have just just decided, hey, you know what? 
I'm just going to stay quiet. I'm going to do what I'm told. And if you listen to people on the news, if you listen, watch people's Facebook posts, if you watch people that are responding to news events on Facebook and like just looking at the, looking in the, the comments section on Twitter and elsewhere, most people just go along with it. And now people are telling on their fellow citizens if they leave their house or if their business is open. We've been asked to tell on our fellow citizens so that the police can come in there and ticket them or arrest them or whatever. And it's absolutely terrible. It's no, it's, it goes against our Constitution. It goes against our natural rights. It goes against just the freedoms and liberties that we believe in. And it's just wrong. But in the Declaration of Independence, I wanted to kind of read this to you guys, so I'm going to go ahead and find it really briefly. But um, in the Declaration of Independence, one of the things that it says is this. So it's about, it's in the, the beginning of it, but I'll just read a little bit before and a little bit afterwards. And it says, Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Is that, is that amazing or what? They kind of called that as well. But that's what they were going through. They were, they were, it says, and let me get back into it. This is the key point. It says, And accordingly all experience has shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the form to which they are accustomed. That's their government. People are more disposed to suffer than to abolish the government. They're willing to suffer, is what they basically what they're saying. People are willing to suffer until it gets so bad that they are willing to stand up against it. Most of the people at the founding of this country, most of the, um, the people that were living in the colonies were willing to suffer. They were willing to suffer the tyranny of the king. They were willing to suffer the tyranny of the redcoats. We have been, like, our country today, if you look at the reasons why they decided to declare their independence is very minimal reasons compared to what we live under today. It really is. If you look at their reasons, they were taxed like 1%. Taxation without representation. That was kind of a idea. That's what you're taught in school. But it's not that. There was a list of several things of the reasons why they were declaring their independence. But the people of America at the time, the people that were the colonists, they were willing to suffer. Most of them were. There was a few voices that stood up and said no. But most people went along with it. Just like today, most people are just going along with it. They're willing to suffer. They're not willing to stand up and say, this is too much. It is not okay for you to take away my livelihood. It is not okay for you to shut down my business. It's not okay for you to run the economy into the ground so my entire life savings goes from one thing to cut in half. That's not okay. People are not willing to do that. It's amazing to me that people are just sitting there taking it right now 
But it's because of fear. The politicians have totally just embraced this fear mongering that they're doing. And the media is complicit in it. They are sitting there racking up $2.2 trillion in debt plus another $2 trillion that they're trying to pass. Another $500 billion that they're trying to pass elsewhere with no votes in Congress. And we just sit back and we relax and we say, you know what, I'm going to stay home because I've been told to by the people above me. By the people that rule over me. I've been told to stay home. I'm going to shut my mouth and not question the narrative at all. I'm not going to question whether this is the best way to do it. That you know what the the people that are the the smart guys, the you know the people that are the scientists, they know better than I do. And the only solution, the only solution that is out there is locking down the entire country, making it illegal to go outside. That's the only solution. That's the best solution, and nobody questions it. It just amazes me that nobody questions that. Because there are other solutions out there. There's other people that have said that there's better solutions out there. It's not just a unison of voices that are saying this. There are dissenting voices. I'm not saying that locking down the country did not slow down the virus. Obviously it would. But at what expense? Would another way have stopped it just as well without shutting down the entire economy? There's got to be other re- there's, there's got to be other ways to stop the virus than to destroy people's livelihoods, destroy the the economy across the entire world, destroy people's entire life savings, take away people's liberties trample on the constitution literally shred the constitution there's got to be better ways but nobody's willing to stand up they're willing to suffer the cruelty of their tyrannical government is what it really comes down to this just shows how much people are willing to suffer yeah we've had people have 25 and 30 percent 50 percent of their money sometimes taken away in taxes if you look at your property taxes, your income taxes, your social security taxes, your sales taxes, all the taxes that are embedded in the everything that you buy, the government probably gets 50-60% of your money. Our nation was founded because people are pissed about 1%. But we're willing to suffer under that. Because we're not really suffering, we're prospering, right? So we don't question those things. There's a very small few that question it, and we're called lunatics and conspiracy theorists. We question it because look how great things could be if there wasn't that oppression. Are you saying that six take it, it in order for us to have the prosperity that we have today, the government has to take 60% of our wealth? Because that's not true. But we're willing to suffer under it. And now the politicians got to see just how far, if you just scare the crap out of everybody, how far they can take it. This is a great experiment to see how far they can take it without people reacting. And nobody's reacting whatsoever because of the fear. The fear, guys. That's it. 
the fear. But you're starting to hear people say something. Like even Tucker Carlson the other day on his show was starting to kind of get get some questions in there, you know? Trying to like, he's getting a little bit bold about, hmm, maybe this isn't the best way. Maybe this isn't the best way. People are starting to see this. People will start to wake up. How many of them will actually scream it from the rooftops, though? I mean, it's literally illegal to go outside right now, so it's illegal to go protest in Washington. Are you going to go down to your state capitol and protest against this and risk being arrested? If I don't, if I don't work, my family doesn't eat, you know? And they know that. They know that a lot of us, we can't get out there and do that because we have families to feed. Yeah, and the lack of a family, with no family, you get out there and protest, go to jail, make a point. But you're going to lose your job, if you're going to lose your income over this, I wish I could say yes, but that's, that's something I wouldn't be able to do. But I will speak up against this thing on this show. I'm trying to speak up with it among my friends now. I'm trying to speak out with other people that I know. On different platforms, I'm trying to speak out because I know that this is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Them shutting down the entire economy over this, okay? It really is. It's wrong for them to act in such a tyrannical manner and take away your constitutional rights. First Amendment, you can't speak. You can't gather. You can't go to church. How many of our rights have been trampled? They're even talking about getting rid of, you know, habeas corpus. Your right to a, you know, to a fair trial, to a speedy trial. That they could hold you indefinitely. That they could arrest you for no reason. How many rights have we suspended because of this? We just need to, as a group, be more vocal about this now at this point. I guarantee you that they will have to hear us at some point. But the people just keep on going along with it. The people are willing to suffer like they did under the king before the American Revolution. But there's going to be people that will rise up out of this and say, no more, no more. Would you be that person? Would you be that person? So anyway, guys, that's all I got for you today. I wanted to bring you guys the show based upon what was going on in politics right now. And I also just want to clarify that I'm not doubting the virus. I'm doubting the way that they are going about trying to stamp it out. There's a better way. There's, there's got to be. There's other scientists that are out there that are saying other things. Let those voices be heard. Maybe there's a better way. I've heard different ways. Don't like lock up all the old people, but stay away from the old people. Like you could really get people to stay away from their grandparents if they know that they might die. Like I'm not going to go near my mom. I'm not going to go near my wife's grandparents. I'm not going to go near somebody that might be at a higher risk to die, I'm going to stay away from them. And I think most people will if you just make that the national news. Hey, listen, this is serious. You need to stay away from people in high-risk groups. And if you're in a high-risk group, stay away from other people. That is a solution. And it doesn't shut down everything. 
There's got to be a better way, guys. That's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Appreciate you joining me. Uh, I and the Empire is the website that I have. It's on iandtheempire.com. You can also check me out Facebook and on Twitter if you just type in I and the Empire as well. You can also follow me there. Uh, you can you can send me messages there. Whatever you want to do, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, email me at ray at iandtheempire.com as well. And then uh, keep on coming back though. Five star ratings are helpful. So if you like what you hear on the show, give me a five star rating and review. And then. Uh, The best thing you can do, though, is come on back Monday, and you'll have clear vision for 2020.